Boomer in the Morning is on right now. Sportsnet 960, The Fan, Calgary. It is hour two of the program. Boomer in the Morning brought to you by Sundry Golf Club. Visit sundrygolf.com. Book it. Frank Valley coming up in, uh, you know, half an hour or so. Our NHL insider. But you take a little look-see at the uh, Thursday, June the 9th. Well, today's the 7th. Does that mean, could, could it possibly be week one of the Canadian Football League just hours away? Calgary Stampeders, Montreal Alouettes, going to lift the lid on the 2022 season coming up Thursday. And time to sink our teeth into it from Three Down Nation. Friend of the show, good to catch up as always with Justin Dunk. Mr. Dunk, how are you? Doing well, fellas. Ready for kickoff. What about you? Yeah, we're getting there. It's, uh, I, I don't know, the whole CBA, and I, I, wanna, I guess we can start there. I don't know how, if, if it's impacted players, like it's maybe Im- impacted me. But in a way, it, <laughs> it, it was just, you know, it was a, a bit of a hiccup, but it takes your, your attention away, and then it, it's a good thing I'm not running a, a football team, or we would not be prepared for Thursday night at, uh, against the Alouettes. F- for players... In terms of training camp and regimen and getting into your routines and that, how how big of a disruption was what we saw? Because some teams did have to, you know, with the strike call and all of that. Or is it really just kind of just a small wrinkle and it's water under the bridge now? I think for the veteran players, it didn't so much matter to them because they're used to going through training camp and ideally probably want to miss some of those days anyway. So they probably don't really care. They know what their routine is. They know how to get ready for the regular season for the rookies. It probably would have impacted them more, the uncertainty and then with them also trying to make the roster. So I think overall, it's just something else thrown in the mix. that These players have to deal with as pro athletes. Want to start with, uh, I guess we'll get right into it. Where do you begin? We'll start with the, the, the opponent coming up here as far as the Stampeders are concerned. It was, uh, it's Vernon Adams Jr. He's been confirmed by Kahari Jones as a starting quarterback. Of course, Trevor Harris came in uh, by way of Edmonton last year. There was some debate who's, who was going to be the guy. It's Vernon Adams Jr. Do you see him being able to grab a hold of this? Is he the guy for the season, or is there uh, how, how short's the leash, I suppose? I don't think at this point that you can say he will be the guy for the entire season. Vernon Adams Jr. is going to have to earn it. He had a great season in 2019, got the Alouettes in the playoffs for the first time in a long time, but then came back last year and was up and down and then was hurt. And as you mentioned, they go out and acquire Trevor Harrison, re-sign him in the offseason, which upset Vernon Adams. So we'll see how he responds to playing under increased pressure with Harris right there behind him. It's been much different for the tenure of Vernon Adams since he's been in Montreal because the guys behind him, he knew weren't as good. He knew if he was healthy, he was going to play. But now if he falters a little bit, there's that looking over the shoulder type feeling where Harris could come into the game. So I think it's a much different situation. It's great for the Alouettes overall to have that quarterback depth, but we're going to see how Adams responds under pressure. For uh, talking about you know, as we get older, how things change. It, it's hard even for me now to look back and, and you look at this team, the Alouettes. It's not been the Alouettes of old. You used to, it used to, everything used to run through 
Anthony Calvillo and Montreal, and it's been a while since that's been the case. What's your expectation for this team this year? They go seven and seven a year ago. Yeah, I think the Alouettes are certainly better in the sense that they have that continuity with Vernon Adams Jr. coming back. That helps, but also Trevor Harris and Danny Machochi, their GM there, feels like they have the best quarterback depth in the CFL. Now, the Stamps might have their hand up thinking Jake Mayer is a young up-and-coming guy, and Bobby Vimentchel, of course, a multiple great cup winner and MLP winner. But overall, the Alouettes are a team that when they're going well and when Vernon Adams is hot especially, they're really good and compete with anybody in the league, but they've been too inconsistent, as you mentioned, that 7-7 seven and seven record a year ago. They need to play more consistent football. Vernon Adams has to take care of the football. To me, that's a major key for this Alouette's team. Otherwise, he's going to be on the bench, and Harris is going to be in there because he's shown that for the majority of his career, he has a really high touchdown-to-interception ratio. Where's Ottawa at? They, they get three wins. I mean, the league shuts down for a year, and then the, the fan base comes back, and they get three, three victories in 14 outings. Uh, one win at home. Uh, another long season for, for the Red Blacks? I think they can compete in the East Division to get in the playoffs just based off the moves they made in the regular season. Now, it's a lot of new pieces coming together, specifically at the top with Paul Apolise, the head coach, who was there a year ago during that terrible season where they went 3-11. But you bring in Jeremiah Masoli, who's going to add a different dynamic in terms of veteran leadership there, a guy that was really respected in Hamilton Tiger Cats locker room. And that will set the tone for this Red Blacks team. They went out and remade their offensive line. Jalen Acklin, a receiver, familiar target brought in in free agency to go along with Masoli and the defense should be solid under Mike Benavides, the defensive coordinator there. So I think the Red Blacks can be competitive and we'll find out how many wins that actually leads to. Justin Dunk, Three Down Nation, our guest here on Sportsnet. Maddie, Justin wanted to ask about uh, the Argos as well because last year it was kind of a, a lot of big name players that were out there. They had a really solid season. They added some more veterans. You think of the Brandon Banks and they added Harris and they added Garrett Davis from Hamilton. What do you think Toronto can be this year? Well, the Argos are gearing up. The one thing they really lacked was that proven pass rusher who can disrupt the quarterback consistently, and that's what Jagarra Davis brings. They go down the QEW, steal him from the Hamilton Tiger Cats, who thought they were going to get him back, but the Argos outbid him in free agency. He's going to make over $200,000 this year for Toronto. So to me, that was a major key. They had been able to push the pocket from the inside with Sean Oakman, the all-star defensive lineman that they had last season, and he'll be back there again. So I think adding Davis on the outside makes that defense even more scary. They got Enoch Mwamba in the middle and a bit of an underrated, under-the-radar secondary. But to me, for the Argos, it's going to be about the big plays they can make on offense and is Brandon Banks the 2019 version or somewhat closer to it, or is he the 2021 version that came into camp? And, you know, at the end of the year, Banks actually said and admitted that he didn't train as hard. He didn't rehab as hard as he should have from his injury in the 2019 Grey Cup. So if Banks has hit the gym, still has that burst, the offense can be scary. And, oh, by the way, imagine if you have Andrew Harris running at full tilt with Brandon Banks on the outside. That means – you're going to kind of pick your poison there. You can't necessarily stack up against the run because you're going to leave Banks in one-on-one situations. But if you leave Banks in those one-on-one situations, he showed, especially in 2019, that he can burn you time and time again. So if Banks is back to full throttle, 
then in my mind, it makes that Argos team very dangerous and potentially the favorites to repeat as East Division regular season champs. Out West, uh, let's take a look at the Stampeders a little bit. I saw their win total was posted at, pardon me, at 10. How do you feel about 10 wins for the Calgary Stampeders? I think it's certainly doable. You look at the standings from last year, they were 8-6, and and realistically just three games behind Winnipeg. Jake Mayer took those Blue Bombers to the wire as a rookie at home, or I should say on the road, at IG Field in Winnipeg's house. So everyone seemed to be so down on the stamps. And yes, it's not the record that we're used to from them, but Bo Levi Mitchell played on a broken leg for a little while, then was out, and he had a rookie quarterback come in and you had a lot of turnover in that roster as well so I think the fact that they have some continuity especially at the quarterback position they know who those guys are going to be they have Reggie Begleton for an entire season I think Calgary in my mind is vastly underrated and could be a dark horse which seems weird to say to win the West Division we've seen them do it for so many years right you guys have seen that in that city and to me, whether or not Bo Levi Mitchell is healthy or playing at a high level, because you have Jake Mayer as that critical insurance, I guess we'll call him in that way, mm-hmm. I really like the Stampeders to surprise some people this year and go over that win total. I think the biggest change to the roster over the offseason would be the trade that saw them acquire the rights to Cam Judge, who they signed, and then sending the rights to Royce Mechie to Toronto. Would you agree, and what do you see Judge being for the Stampeders this year? That was a massive deal because Royce Mechie was going to go to Toronto anyways. That's where he's from. Brampton, of course, the brother of John Mechie III, who could potentially be an NFL star with the Houston Texans. So he was going to leave. They get Cam Judge, bring him in there. And Judge is a guy that was ultra-athletic when he was used properly on the field with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, especially under Chris Jones. When he went to Toronto, I don't think he was quite used properly. And the Stamps will put him in a position to flourish. I'm sure Brett Monson is really excited to see what Judge can do in his defense during the regular season. He can be a ratio breaker, a big-time difference maker in the middle for the Stamps. I think that in the West, there's probably a a big three with Saskatchewan and Winnipeg also involved, and then Edmonton and BC maybe a little bit behind there just as we get ready for week one of the season. We know that can all change in a in a hurry with all the turnover and injuries and all that type of thing. But how do you see the kind of top three of the West shaking down with maybe Saskatchewan and Winnipeg? Yeah, to me, it's it's Calgary, Saskatchewan, Winnipeg in that top three. BC is a major question mark because of the offensive line. I think Nathan Rourke can be solid. And yeah, I was a former Canadian University quarterback myself, and he played in the NCAA. But I think he can be great regardless of his status and really improve. But we've got to remember it's his first year as a starter. So we'll see what he does. Edmonton, I think back to Chris Jones and his first year in Saskatchewan, where I believe they were five and 13. They were competitive, but they lost a lot of football games. So I think it'll take some time for Jones to turn over that roster, find the guys that he wants in there for his system. I certainly think they'll be competitive, but to me, the West will be won by those big three teams. And there's a critical question for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders on their offensive line. They didn't do much to improve it. And it was an area that was very suspect for them last year. And we know the Winnipeg Blue Bombers were able to keep the majority of their offensive line together, which has been the best in the CFL, led by Stanley Bryant, who's won 
multiple most outstanding offensive lineman awards. So to me, that's the key for Winnipeg going with these younger running backs and letting Andrew Harris go and moving on from him. Brady Oliviera and Johnny Augustine, both Canadians will get a decent amount of carries there or split them, or we'll see who ends up with the high hand, but because they're running behind that offensive line, I think they can be productive. And to me, that's been one of the keys to Zach Caleros, let's say, reviving his career or becoming a multiple-time Grey Cup champion is that offensive line. He's been able to regain his confidence, move around when he needs to, and throw the football down the field because of that O-line. And that's why I think Winnipeg at least starts the season as a favorite for the 3 P. Justin Dunk from 3 Down Nation, our guest. I want to stay with Saskatchewan for a moment. Uh, whenever you host the Grey Cup, there's always a little bit more focus, a little bit more pressure. Uh, again, I, I go by what others uh, are reporting and what they're saying, but it sounds like if you're going to take on, if you're going to go into Regina or play the Riders, be ready for a street fight. Their their linebackers, their D core is mean and ready to roll. And that's really no difference from a year ago. Like the defense has been really great there under Jason Shivers, defense coordinator. I think underrated. He's a guy that learned under Chris Jones and has sort of melded a bunch of things together from what he learned in his career playing for Rich Stubler and others. So it's not just a Chris Jones defense. I think now it's truly a Jason Shivers defense. And that unit has been really great. And they bring back Charleston Hughes to help out the pass rush. So I certainly think you're bang on. You're going to have to go in there and earn your points against the Riders. But the key for them is going to be, can they score? Can they boost that total up on offense with a full season of Duke Williams and Cody Fajardo, and then add into the mix a potentially healthy Shaq Evans and the Riders thinking that he can get back to that game-breaking ability that we saw so often in the 2019 season when him and Fajardo quickly developed a connection. But to meet that offensive line, they either got to play better or find ways to get the ball out quicker and be creative in the run game. I'm sure Jason Moss is going to try to do that. What's your report card on on Cody Fajardo. I mean, I, I like what he's scrappy. You know, he's a battler. He fights for yards. He's he's not hook sliding when he should all the time. He's in there. He's a you know, competitive guy. But what do you see when you watch Cody Fajardo? That's a great trait to have, but I think we could look at Bowie Van Mitchell as an example, a guy that as he gone on in his career, you know, hasn't taken a lot of big shots. But when you do take that shot, especially the one to his shoulder, it can affect you long term. So in my mind, for Fajardo to have a long CFL career, you need to know when to fight for those yards. And, you know, especially in late season games and in the playoffs, you're going to have to do that. But to me, he's got to really show improvement in terms of beating people from the pocket. Now, part of that has to do with what I talked about with the offensive line. And I think Fajardo does have the ability to do it because we saw him lead the league in passing in 2019. That said, some of the top quarterbacks were hurt that year. So can he do it in a year where the majority of the best quarterbacks in the league stay healthy for all of the season or the vast majority of it? So I want to see how Fajardo matures in this Jason Moss offense. His second year on the field in it will be critical for him in the future. We've got to remember, Fajardo right now, as it currently stands going into the season, is in a contract year. His contract is up after this season and if he wants to get another fat one in cfl terms five hundred thousand plus dollars then he's got to play well especially from the pocket that's what he's got to prove teams know that he can run around a little bit now and that's all fine well and good but for you to become a great cup champion you got to win from the pocket 
What about the Hamilton Tiger Cats? I was I called up there, you know, because it feels like they're there every year. They're so close. And, yeah, it's four Grey Cup losses in the last decade, which has got to be tough. And there's turnover and everything. But for that fan base and for that ownership group, it's it's about winning now. How poised are they maybe to uh, to have a little bit of turnover and just be balanced enough, maybe if Winnipeg comes back to the pack a little bit, that they can kind of go through the middle here? Yeah, it's about winning now, but in my mind, the Ticats have a couple big question marks to fill. That's Shigeru Davis in terms of the pass rushing because he's one of the best guys at it in the league, went down the road to Toronto. They're likely going to fill that role going Canadian with Mason Bennett there, but to be quite honest, in all fairness to Bennett, he's not Jared Davis. And then on offense, the big question mark is Dane Evans' first time being the guy, and he doesn't have Jeremiah Masoli there to lean on anymore. I think that was a critical aspect for them, and the Tiger Cats could bounce back and forth between those two guys, be it for lack of high-level play or injury. And we're very fortunate to be in that situation. Now it's Dane Evans. They've given him the contract for over $400,000, and it's his team, but until we see guys prove it as a number one guy, then in my mind, it's a question mark. So we need to see Evan stay healthy, and we need to see him week in and week out be a consistently productive quarterback for the Ticats to have a shot to finally break, what is it now, the longest great cup, Gerald, in the league. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I want to, just before we let you go, I wanted to ask you about the quarterback spot here in Calgary. I feel like this is going to be one of the more focused battles that we have in the Canadian Football League. Bo, he's the face of the franchise, has been for a long time. Jake Mayer came in and I think surprised a lot of people with just how well he played. And and I'm wondering this year, how much of it, is it going to have to be Bo Levi struggling? Is it going to, even if he's playing average, right? There, there's going to be an appetite probably from fans and from others to to see Jake Mayer. If you were to, if you were to predict or if you were to take a guess, how does this go this year? You know, Bo Levi's going to start, but when two picks in the preseason, like it's already kind of begun, that kind of uprising for Jake Mayer here in Calgary. It has, and I can understand it from the fan perspective, but I think we need to realize that the preseason is a time for trying some things out, right? Bo Levi Mitchell knows what he needs to do to get himself ready for the regular season. He wants to test his arm out. So I don't think the two picks in the regular season – should be concerning. If we see that continue into the regular season, then that would be totally different, right? He had a CFL high last year in terms of interceptions, and you don't want to see that again from Bolivar Mitchell. So let's see how he starts out the season before we sort of annoy Jake Merrick. So we got to remember, when Bolivar Mitchell's healthy, this Stampeders team has been the best in the West for a long time, the entire time that he's been there. So I have a hard time predicting how it's going to go because of injuries and things like that. It was surprising to me that Mitchell admitted that he had been at least thinking about retirement, but he's also a guy that's been honest, which we want to see from our pro athletes. And a lot of times it doesn't happen. So I don't want to throw out a prediction there because I think a lot of it's going to be based on how Mitchell plays and the stamps are in a fortunate position because they know if they go to mayor He's shown he can come in in different situations. He can start a ball game for them, keep them competitive on the road against the defending Grey Cup champs in Winnipeg. He can come off the bench, you know, in the second or third quarter and still be productive and guide the team as if it's not missing a beat on offense. So I think it's a great situation for them to be in, and we have to see how Mitchell responds. He said he's been dedicated in the offseason, recommitted himself, is jacked up about the year. And to me, if he's talking like that, that's dangerous for the rest of the teams of the league.
Like, for a guy like you, this is your bread and butter. How happy are you to not be? You're talking about quarterbacks and uh, you know linebackers instead of bubbles and testing and <laughs> protocols and CBAs and strike votes and all of that. It, it feels like it's taken a long time to get here, but are we're able to just talk football now? We can focus on just football now. It's really nice, and you know, not, not just for me, but for you guys and everybody and the fans out there and even the players, right? It seems like, you know, we're through the worst of the pandemic. We're obviously living with the virus now, but the fact that we can just talk about football and game planning and you kind of alluded to it, the quarterback situation in Calgary is going to be a really intriguing storyline for the whole year. Mitchell and Mayer and the Grey Cup and the Riders hosting and none of this other stuff that we've all had to deal with and get through, I think is great for all of us citizens across the country and also the CFL. Thank you, man. Always appreciate your time. We'll be checking in throughout the season. Enjoy uh, enjoy the season opener on uh, Thursday. We will. Yes, sir. You guys too. <laughs> right on. See you, man. Justin Dunk, Three Down Nation. It is, if, again, if you're a Canadian Football League fan, you're not going to threedownnation.com. I don't know what you're going to figure it out. It's a place to go. Doing it wrong. You know, come on now. Uh, breaking here. And coming back, we'll switch back to hockey as our NHL insider, Frank Saravalli, will join us. Uh, his thoughts on the Western Conference Final, it's over. Four games, it's all it took. Boom. Now the Avs sit and wait. What about the Oilers? Coaching change coming up in Boston, among other teams. There's a lot of teams now searching for head coaches. And there's a lot of head coaches potentially searching for jobs. How's it all going to shake down? That and more with Frank when we come back. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Boomer in the Morning is on right now. Sportsnet 960, The Fan, Calgary. You know, I realize I've been... Uh, sup? Well, sup, sup, sup. Tell me. It's too much stuff to do. It's too much going on. Hey, Dumas. Going to rattle his cage a little bit. Uh, yeah. yeah. How's it going in there? Oh, I just got GVP on the board here. He's you gonna, good? We'll be calling Frank. That's good. Hey, uh, do you know what's uh, happening with our uh, Father's Day contest? Not a clue. Hmm. Do we have... Uh... Well, we're uh, we're two days behind at oh. this point. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, today would be day two that we were... Uh, like every hour, I haven't, I haven't, be, yeah. I haven't seen an email roll in. I think, uh, I, I think it came to you in the liners, in the liners email. Now again, I mean it's on me, um, but let's uh, let's let's combine our efforts and see what we can do here. Okay, over uh, the rest of this week, because right. Wild Rose Brewery has come through big for us as they have in the past, and they have again. Tell you what, whenever it comes down to it, how about Wild Rose Brewery? Yeah, yeah, we're in. Sure. They're the best. So we're going to do some uh, we're gonna do some Father's Day stuff with Wild Rose Brewery. Yeah, buddy. Uh, it's time to chat with Frank Saravelli. He's our NHL insider, brought to you by South Trail Exports. With inventory shortages across the city, it's the perfect time to sell your vehicle for cash. Visit SouthTrailExports.com. Frank, good morning, man. What's going on? Uh, just this. How are you guys holding up? <laughs> well, we're fine. Uh, don't know how to feel, right? If you're a Flames fan, you're happy. The Oilers are out, I suppose. I don't know that you feel like there would have been much 
different a fate had the Flames found a way to get through round two. The Avalanche look a little undeniable right now. But it's hard, I think, for some after watching five games last round and then this Mike Smith performance. I mean, he was not Vesna caliber against the Flames either, but uh, sure a lot of goals in the back of that Edmonton net. I've got to be thinking more than ever, and it's not new. But if you're an Oiler fan, if you had some D and you had some goaltending, what this team might be capable of. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, it's got to be a weird feeling for Flames fans because the way that your team was dismantled in five games, and look, it, it, I'm sure at the end of the day, it's, it's not nearly, that series doesn't end up being nearly as lopsided as it ended up on paper. But to then see the Oilers get picked apart in the fashion that they did in the third round, it probably leaves you with a feeling this morning of, you know, just how much work this team has to do to get to where they want to get to. And they made incredible strides this year, um, you know, going from a non-playoff team to winning the division. But this is a trying summer. There's a lot to get done. Um, I, I know that Brad Tree Living is hard at work trying to make some of those things happen. Um, but it's, it's a two-party negotiation, not one. And it's going to be interesting to watch all that play out. And to, to comment on what you were mentioning about the Oilers, like I have so much respect for Mike Smith, um, the way he battles, you know, what he's been through in his career to even become a starter. Um, it's been nothing short of incredible. And the way that he has been able to wipe the, I guess, his brain clean after some of those major mistakes that he's made, it, it's incredibly impressive. But at the same time, some of the goals that were scored, um, you know, you look at it and you say, okay, this just, this can't happen. This, we can't have this, you know, again uh, next season. And so Smith is under contract, but I think the Oilers would be crazy to, to head into next season with Smith as their starter. So what is it, is this Kenny Hall? Because we know what their cap situation is. It's not great. It does not seem like there's any way they can keep Evander Kane around, despite what a good fit he was. Now you've got the it's the the combination. What do you have for cap space, and what's on the open market in terms of UFAs? What how does Ken Holland figure this? It's not a mess, but how does he figure this conundrum out? Because like you say, need a goaltender one way or the other, and it looks like you need a number one. It's they've got a lot of work to do too. Like to your point, the cap space is at a premium. It always has been uh, the last few years in Edmonton. Like they, they spent so long digging out from some contracts, finally got out of some, and then are in a spot where they had signed a few guys to some longer term deals. And now, you know, the cap space, they're in a crunch again. And to, to, you know, look at the goaltending situation and then to even try and figure out what happens with Evander Kane, like it's going to be tough. They're going to have decisions to make with, um, you know, potentially some buyouts. Um, you know, can they offload a contract or two? Like what happens with Zach Cassian and his future in Edmonton? I think that's going to be an important question in terms of trying to figure out that salary cap puzzle. Um, you know, Warren Fogle and the production that you got out of him at $2.75 million this year, is, are you okay with that? Like there are ways to go about trying to free up some space. Um, but what is Evander Kane going to cost? What does that market look like? And is someone out there willing to give him term? I mean, 
at the end of the day, he scored 35 goals in 58 games as an Edmonton Oiler. He goes out in a way that, you know, probably leaves you wanting some more with the suspension. Um, but, you know, that's going to be tricky too. Like, how do you, how do you find a way to, to manage all that and, and still keep your team in a spot where, you know, you're not committing super long-term to a guy that's worn out his welcome in a few other places around the NHL now. Well, and it's a little bit, and I don't mean this to be a shot, but everyone's familiar with Evander Kane and what's going on. Does not seem like a player who's going to take less. I think financially, Evander Kane at 30. Probably has to. And his life. Doesn't have the option. Right? He has to get max money pretty much, does he not? I would imagine that, yeah, anyone that's sitting there in his same position would do the same thing. Yeah. With all due respect to a chance to win and, you know, nice place to live or play, like you got to take the team that's giving you the most dollars, I would imagine, when you've got all those creditors to pay off. Yeah. You mentioned, before we leave the Oilers, you mentioned potential buyouts just off the top of your head. Who, who would be a candidate in Edmonton for a buyout in your mind? Well, I, I think Cassian is a candidate. I think they would prefer to try and move his contract first. Yeah. But if you look at if you look at the actual buyout itself, three point two million is his current cap hit. Next season would be just six hundred and sixty six thousand. There'd be a slight bump, uh, you know, two seasons from now at one point nine. But it's you know you're getting a, a two point six million dollars savings for next year if you do decide to pull the trigger. Obviously, it'd be easier and, and way more interesting for the team to try and trade him, but what are you willing to give up, if anything, in order to make that happen? Credit to you a week ago, or less than a week ago, I guess we had you on Friday last week. You had mentioned like, we were kind of kicking around coaches, and you said, keep in mind Boston. Don't sleep on Boston. It was not exactly a big vote of confidence coming from Sweeney and Cam Neely at their end-of-season press conferences, and lo and behold, here we are less than a week later, and Bruce Cassidy has been fired. So good on you on, on the intel there. Uh, just sounds like a little too tough on, or, or just not an appetite to work with younger players, to absorb some spotty play from younger players. Is that fair? I, I don't even think it's younger players. I think it's everyone on the roster. Like, old guys, vets, selkie winners included, like, Bruce Cassidy, I think, is a good coach, but I think he's incredibly tough on the players that he plays for. He demands a lot. I'm not saying that as a negative, but I think that really wore on a lot of people in and around that team over the last few years. And, you know, I saw the jokes on social media, like, David Krejci, hey, come on back. Like, come back to Boston now. Uh, The coast is clear. And then, like, you look at, you know, Jake DeBrusque and his trade request that had been in for so long, like, him and Bruce Cassidy had sort of even publicly in some ways gone back and forth with each other. Uh, clear lack of trust there between coach and player. And now all of a sudden you have someone new coming in and does Jake DeBrusque rescind that trade request now? He's already got the extension sign from before the deadline to try and coax a trade from Boston. And now it may end up being the best thing that he can stay. I don't think there was ever an issue with the city or team or his teammates. It was more just, I don't seem to see eye to eye with this coach. So they make a change. I don't know why people seem to be so surprised. Maybe it's because they made the playoffs every year of Bruce Cassidy's tenure. But I think when you have a a coach that drives that hard, you have to let your foot off the gas at some varying points. And I don't know that Bruce Cassidy, it's in his DNA to do that. 
So they keep, they're going to begin looking. I'll give you one name to keep an eye on. Nate Lehman at Providence. He's, of course, coached uh, Team USA at the World Juniors. Uh, up-and-coming, fantastic coach that the Bruins interviewed and liked a lot for their AHL job. It was either last summer or the summer before, and they couldn't convince him to leave Providence. He's got a sweet gig there. He's been, you know, tried to be poached by Boston University, Boston College, all the big schools in New England. And I think if he wants to make the jump to the NHL, that that would be a real possibility. And also, by the way, interesting year for the Bruins with the Marchand double hip surgery, the Charlie McAvoy surgery. Like, those guys are out until November, December. It could be a really tough start for the Bruins, especially if Bergeron retires. You know, a lot of people have been saying, is this just a one-off year for the Bruins to try and get Connor Bedard or something like that? I don't know that I completely buy into that, but Don Sweeney, their general manager, acknowledged this morning that they may need to take a step back in the near term in order to get to where they want to get to. So Bruce Cassidy, Barry Trotz, Peter DeBoer, they were all going to be on the Olympic coaching staff. All three of them are out of work. There's some there's some marquee teams, some big market teams, and some some Hall of Fame, potential Hall of Fame names. Joel Quenville's out there, Alain Vigneault, Tortorella. This is a wild offseason. The current Olympic coach, yeah. Julian. Like, I mean, there was, there's a ton. Yeah. I, I wonder, there's already so many teams that have made their coaching changes. Is this the kind of a offseason with the names that are available that maybe you expedite a coaching change where maybe you wouldn't have otherwise? Maybe. I think teams are beginning to get a little bit antsy. Uh, there seemed to be some smoke on social media the last day or so about John Tortorella and the possibility of him joining the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, there was a tweet that went out from John Butchergross, who, of course, works with Tortorella at ESPN. And it was just he, he sent a tweet that just had a photo next to a photo of Gritty. And I don't know if he was trying to make a beauty comparison or what, but it, it was it certainly got everyone thinking and wondering. I checked in with some team sources. They they indicated uh, nothing, you know, nothing there at the moment. Uh, doesn't mean something wouldn't materialize or couldn't. But I think they're still going through the process with Barry Trotz and some other people. Uh, I know they've interviewed John Tortorella. I just don't know that it's gone any further at this point, to my knowledge. So you mentioned Boston. There's Philadelphia. Vegas is fascinating in a way because they've been knocking at the door. We know everything that's gone on there. What What is Kelly McCrimmon looking for? Someone who wins. I mean, that's it. That's that's all it's about in Vegas. Doesn't matter really anything else. Seems like they'd be willing to kill in order to get a win uh, in the playoffs. And they're going through their process. The names that I had heard that had jumped to the top of their list were uh, in addition to Barry Trotz, Rick Tockett, who now has wrapped up his season at TNT after um, the Oilers lost. And the other one is Paul Maurice. Now, I think you can add Paul Maurice to that really interesting list of coaching candidates. Um, I think he's one of the very best coaches in the league. The question is, like Barry Trotz, can he find the right fit, the right spot, um, that's going to be really important to him. I think, you know, there are some coaches out there, and this isn't a knock on them because, you know, there's only 32 jobs, but there's some that will jump or snap at the first opportunity that's presented, even if it might not be a great fit. Roster-wise, stylistically, 
relationship with manager, whatever it is, uh, autonomy. And then there's other guys who are like, you know what? I'm good sitting out. Um, and I got the sense from Paul Maurice, especially when he left Winnipeg in December, it was like, I- I'm good. Like, I don't ever need to coach again. Like, he's made enough money in his career. He's been an NHL coach for a long, long time, going back to the 90s, um, which is incredibly impressive for a guy that's still relatively young. And now he's like, well, I'm going to pick the best spot for me moving forward. And if that doesn't come along, well, I'm I'm good just sailing off into the sunset. When do you think we'll start hearing, because it's been a – it's been a few days now with the Florida Panthers. We, we, we talked a little bit about Andrew Brunette. Does not seem like you're going to have uh, room for Claude Giroux. Uh, I just haven't heard a lot of fallout after the disappointment of round two for the Panthers. They're working their way through it. Um, that's for sure. That was a huge topic of conversation throughout the Florida Panthers and their exit interview process. What do we do with the coach? Um, I think in in some ways they were absolutely thrilled with the regular season that they got out of Andrew Brunette. What a tough situation to walk into. Your team's 7-0 and and undefeated, and Joel Quenville resigns due to the sexual assault scandal related to the Chicago Blackhawks and Kyle Beach. And you don't have any head coaching experience. You've played in the NHL. You've had different front office jobs. You've been an assistant coach. And now all of a sudden, hey, keys are yours. Like, good luck. And that was a tough spot to walk into for Andrew Burnett. The, the Panthers never missed a beat. And they got better, in fact, as the season went along. But I thought there were varying points, you know, and, and not necessarily related to the Panthers and their 0 for 25 start on the power play in the postseason. Sometimes weird things like that just happen that you can't explain. But I think there were varying moments throughout the playoffs, especially in the first round against Washington, then the second round against Tampa where he was outcoached. And maybe that's experience. Maybe that's a whole bunch of things. Your, your team, I've mentioned this word with you guys before, the Panthers, they looked a little choky. They felt a little choky. And that's so part of that's on the players. But part of it too is, is a guy without that much experience, does he want to continue to be a head coach? And do we want him when there's a list of really qualified candidates out there that we could replace him with to take this team that we think is ready made to win and maybe get them over the hump? I'll just double back to the flames for a moment. We sit here, we're talking on the 7th. We know that July 13th is UFA. So we're, I mean, we're nipping it. We're a month and change out. If a, if a Goudreau deal does get done, how far in advance do you think? Because if a deal's going to get done, it doesn't need to go right. I don't know that the 13th, that doesn't really have any, it's not a pinch point, is it? In terms of a regular negotiation, would this not be a little bit different? I would think the pinch point is a lot sooner than that. Yeah. Um, my understanding with the Flames is they are, quote, pedal down. That's that's what Brad Tree living, that's the type of mode that he's in at the moment trying to get this deal done with Johnny Gaudreau. It starts with him, and then it, it trickles down to the other guys that are pending free agents that need deals. And when you look at Brad Living's track record throughout his tenure, 
he, A, he doesn't mess around, and B, he's got his finger on the pulse of so many other things happening around the league that he's in a spot where if he gets the sense that this isn't going to materialize, I, I wouldn't be shocked to see him begin to knock out some other things on his list. Maybe there's a last-second opportunity, but my guess is if it gets to July 10th, 11th, 12th, like, and Johnny Gaudreau is not signed, probably not coming back. Like I, I think they're going to have that indication way before then. Never say never. I mean, there have been guys, Steven Stamkos, others that have gone to market and ended up coming back because the grass isn't always greener. But I would think that the Flames are going to be so aggressive with their offer and trying to get him done that if he doesn't accept, it's probably not going to be because of money. It's probably just going to be because maybe that's just not the place that he wants to spend the rest of his career. Yeah. And I know we, we've talked about a kind of echo chamber, but you, you go past July 1 like Stamkos did, or in this case, the 13th. You lose that availability for the eighth year, which really takes away any kind of, you would think, bargaining advantage that the Flames would have in terms of a Gaudreau market. That's Yeah, and that's the huge advantage that the Flames have is total dollars. I mean, it, it's that's always what teams look at at the end, or, or agents, excuse me, look at at the end of the day to say, hey, it's all about what's going into your pocket when this contract expires at the end of it. And the Flames have the ability with that eighth year to really, you know, even in a place with, if there's another team that's involved in the mix in the market that is a no tax state or certainly has significantly less tax than, than in Canada, that they're going to be ultra competitive with no matter what comes down the pike, I would think, because they have that ability to offer the eighth year. But to your point, it's not forever. And so you either get moving or you don't. Before I let you go, anything else news-wide, league-wide, news-wise, league-wide, that, uh, aside from the Lady Bing and the uh, the Clancy Award, which we're all very much dialed into, but anything else uh, that you're keeping an eye on here? Clancy, that's huge. Yeah, it is. Really- um, well, hey, Maddie was really quiet today, huh? Um, <laughs> I would say, not- uh, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, we're releasing our top 50 free agents in the next hour or two, and a certain Calgary Flame is... Number one on the list. Oh, so is that right? real shock there. Yeah. Stunner. Trevor well, Lewis? Hey, there's only so many Nikita Zadorovs out there, right? Oh, that's, yeah. There's only so many. Uh, uh, Nikita, Nikita Zadorov, I have him 34. Yeah, that's Followed right. uh, just behind uh, Eric Branson, 35. Look at the it's you can have the five hundred pound pair, thirty-four and thirty-five right there. Are you gonna be spending the are you gonna be spending the thirteenth up here? I mean, this is the place to be for, for free agency this off season. Five hundred pound pair? Like, oh man, like is what are what are we talking about here? That's a lot of that's a lot of Alberta beef. It's a lot of beef. Yeah. It's, it's like it's like two sixty five listed and then I'm counting about thirty five pounds of gear between two guys. I think it's about five hundred pounds. That would be almost six. Yeah. But yes. I'm going to leave the math to you guys. I mean, I, that's, I'm out of my depth. That's up to you guys. Well, I'm confused and probably wrong, so. Well, it could be. That's, you know, it's not the first time, not the yeah, last. Makes you certainly feel, won't be the last. Yeah. Feeling well. So how was the, uh, uh, you, I had, mean, you had a big. Uh, once upon a time, it w- we would have been talking about me and Boomer as the 500-pound <laughs> pair, but 
Boomer's been crushing it on the oh, bike, yeah, so yeah. I don't think so. He's All looking right. very slim these Settle days. Down. Uh, yeah. How was you had the kid birthday party on the weekend? How'd that go? Like, was there any? Oh, yeah. Were there any was... kid any kids in Philly that didn't go to that party? Uh, it was actually last night. It was big. Uh, my guy turned eight, and we we did a little go kart racing. So uh, the boys in his class came to the party, and it was uh, it was a good time. Did Dad get uh, on the go kart? Show him a thing or two. Quick zip around the lap. No, see that's the thing. We we had weight limits, so oh, that, oh no, it, it, would, it wouldn't move. Wouldn't move very quick for me. Jeez. Oh. Make it sound. Come on now, be good to yourself. Take care of yourself. It's good to talk to you, pal. We'll do it again in a week. And uh, who knows? We'll, I think we'll probably be asking those same questions, even though we'll be a week closer to July 13th. But um, I, I think the sting of losing in round two, now the Oilers being out and a little bit of downtime, it's going to be some hand-wringing here soon with, uh, with Johnny Gaudreau. Time to get to work and uh, take care of myself. Maybe I should start. Yeah, attaboy. Thanks, Frank. Good to talk to you. Be good. Have a good one, guys. You bet. Frank Valley, our NHL insider. Brought to you by South Trail Exports. With inventory shortages across the city, it's the perfect time to sell your vehicle for cash. Visit SouthTrailExports.com. It's not, it's not that big a guy. That's, he's really doing himself a disservice. He, he lays it on thick. Yeah. yeah it's, not nice. it's, I mean, it's not accurate. It's not accurate at all. DailyFaceOff.com. Check it out. They have uh, he and, of course, they have their, their, their team, their staff of writers. Constantly pumping out quality content. Yeah, it's it's a real like they're getting up there. They got quite the workforce they're putting together. Podcasts and live shows and you name it. If you follow Frank or or any of them on Twitter, it's it's constant stuff going up there. It's like, how, how are you sleeping? No. You, you ever you ever not writing about something uh, to do with something? I, I tell you what, I don't. I don't have that work ethic. I'll tell you right now. I well, could not be. I could not work. I don't think at Daily Face Off. It was so. funny because he came in, said hi to you guys, and we got the opportunity to chat with him a few times at Flames Talk when he was in town for the Battle of Alberta as well. Yeah, and it's like five radio hits. Plus, he does the Daily Face Off show live at ten a.m. every day. Yeah, try and book Plus time they with do that the, guy. The DFO rundown two oh, two days a week. Can't do it. Guy's the man. Working hard. Speaking of which, maybe a little more time on his hands now. But Cameron will join us to kick off Hour 3 when we come back. The Edmonton Oilers swept out of the Western Conference Final. Maybe the, he can go and see his dogs again. He misses his back dogs. Back to Red Deer? I don't know. I don't know. We'll find out. Cam Moon, radio play-by-play voice of the Edmonton Oilers, but more importantly, friend of the program when we come back. Sportsnet 960, The Fan.